What's the most important resource that you have? If you really thought about this deeply, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that Joey and I did. It's time. In our newest book, Wealth Without Wall Street, The Three Steps to Financial Freedom Through Passive Income, we talk about how are we tracking that time? Well, what is the thing that we can do to get more of that time back? That's right. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and thought, man, it would be amazing if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. Joey, today's podcast guest, Scott Smith, shared so many things from a legal perspective that we should understand and know better. And I, I think that one of the, the biggest points that came out of this is how do rich people think? And it, it has way more to do with owning nothing. Now, when I was a kid, I owned nothing. So, so I, you I were rich. Yeah. Like and based upon what we learned today, <laughs> I, I guess I was rich, right? Maybe, you know, when my mom was saying, Rush, you are rich. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you got the Nintendo. How many kids didn't get a Nintendo? Well, Bob, but I didn't get, you know, the baseball game and the football game to go with it. I only got this stupid, you know, Super Mario, Mario. game. I've been playing for months over at my buddy's house anyway. <laughs> Yeah, but the, the the key that you were missing, the Russ, is that you own nothing, but you also controlled nothing, <laughs> and that made you not rich. As that Scott is. mentioned, the rich think like this: they want to control everything and own nothing, and that is that's a critical uh, difference than I think most people consider. Well, yeah, it, it's, it's super interesting. I was listening to Grant Cardone, and he was saying that that you that you should own what you rent, and you should rent where you live. And it, it was it's a totally different mindset for people to think about how the wealthy are trying to set up entities and structures to where, in their name, they literally own nothing. So if you sue them. They hit you in their Lamborghini or Range or whatever they're driving, right? And, and you're like, I'm going to get this joker. No, you're going to get a maybe a dented up Range or Lamborghini, but that's all you're getting because everything right. else is not in their name. It has been sheltered. And I think there's a lot of lessons for us as we're starting out because Scott went through kind of really the three steps that we take people through and says, well, here's the advice. Here's the things that someone should be doing at each stage. Right. Like if you're just starting out, you're in that goal phase where you're just determining your path for financial freedom. You haven't even gotten your first 25% of your expenses covered with passive income. He gives practical steps you should be taking right now. And then once you get into that next phase where you've got 25%, you're, you're scaling, there's other certain asset types and or asset protection type vehicles and things you should be considering. So I, I don't want to give away what those are, but I think if you are at any level along that path, there's something that you're going to gain from this that you probably should take action on today. So if you're anywhere between 0% to 100% to financial freedom, this is going to be a good pack, podcast for you. Is that what you're saying, Joey? Basically. Okay, perfect. Well, let's let Scott tell us. Let's jump in right now with Scott Smith. <laughs> Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. 
Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Well, welcome into the show. Today we have Scott Smith joining us live. Scott, man, we've enjoyed getting to know you, uh, being on your show, and now to have you here. So grateful to have you. Oh, likewise, man. It's been great to get to know you guys, and um, I'm excited to be able to come in here and open up the kimono a bit and show everything <laughs> I know about asset protection, tax, state planning, whatever we got going on. Uh, well, here's the thing. Let's let's go back to law school. When we were talking off camera, you you mentioned that was really your entree into entrepreneurship, but also into investing in real estate. I'd love to have you share that story. Yeah, man. So I was in my second year of law school. I ended up buying uh, up in Albany, New York. I was born and raised in, in Texas, uh, out in Houston. Um, I was in there in law school and had an opportunity to be able to buy a transmission and auto repair shop for the back taxes. So I said, well, there's no way I can lose on this baby. Let's go ahead and go <laughs> for it. And uh, so I ended up buying the business with a partner who knew everything about how to do all the cars. And I fancied myself an entrepreneur and businessman at the time. Um, didn't know how much I didn't know until I got into it, really. Um, but over the course of those two years, you know, we were able to make enough money in the business to pay uh, for um, pay for a lot of our school. And then we were able to flip the business and the building um, at the end to be able to graduate from law school without any debts. And that's when I fell in love with business and real estate, um, so much so that even after I left law school and I was suing uh, insurance companies as a litigation attorney, uh, as that, uh, you know, turns out that insurance companies are really great. Uh, collecting premiums, even better at denying coverage. That's it happens to be their entire business model, come to find out. <laughs> so we were suing them because they weren't weren't paying out like they should. And I was like, okay, well, this is great. I'm really good at this. But um, but looking around, people didn't have the life that I wanted to have. And I was like, great, this is where this life is going to take me. I can see who else is out here. They're, they don't have the life I have. They don't have the family I want to have. They don't have the finances I want to have. They're not as happy as I want to be. Um, I'm going to stick with, you know, keep going and hustling on the real estate side because that actually showed me a lot of promise there. And eventually I started making more money doing real estate than I was being a lawyer. So I just left being a lawyer and did real estate full time and uh, grew, grew my real estate business until I hit my financial freedom in real estate. But, you know, being the person that I am, um, I was still active, even though I didn't need to be. I still need work to do that means something to me. Uh, it's just yeah. a per as the kind of person I am. Uh, so I was going to meetup groups and, and trying to help people as best I could inside of those groups that were just getting off the ground from real estate all the way up to seasoned investors that had all the properties in their personal name, which was the worst thing they could do. And telling them about the story about my friend who lost over $3 million in real estate. He was really well insured and how that can happen to you from my experience suing insurance companies um, and just trying to educate people as best I could to help them along the way. But eventually, you know, people know I was attorney and they say, well, what are you doing for your asset protection, your, your estate planning, your tax savings? Um, how do you run your books? How do you do all of this stuff? And so I would teach them and eventually they told me, so well, you need to go on this podcast called Bigger Pockets. So I went on Bigger Pockets episode 109. And uh, from there, uh, I, I didn't intend to start a business. So I just dropped my personal phone number and email into the show. Uh, and when the show aired, I was getting 20 to 30 phone calls a day from everybody all over the country asking for help uh, for what they were doing. So it's kind of how I accidentally started a firm now. And so now I have five attorneys that work for me, about a team of about 40. We work in all 50 states and every asset class, helping people that are investors, uh, real estate investors, general investors, investors, 
um, early stage entrepreneurs uh, as really our, our, our bread and butter there. And we're an education-based company. We just believe that our mission is to educate people as much as we can. Whatever they do with that education, they can go do it on their own. The people that want our help will hire us to help them be able to execute what it is. But our mission and our key core number that we have is how many people can we help uh, set the foundations for the infrastructure that they need to be able to, to reach financial freedom. Uh, and that's why it's so exciting for me to, to meet um, you, Russ and Joey, is because you guys have that that piece about creating a vision and a plan and executing on that and creating the support systems on it, which is the other side of the coin uh, from what uh, my company focused on. So it's a bit of a kismet uh, for us to be able to meet, I think. And um, I think together, you know, we have that kind of magic from people. And um, so I, I just really grateful to be able to be here and, and share what I know. Well, so while Russ is looking up what the word kismet means, um, about how many oil changes does your company do now? in addition to all those things. <laughs> yeah, we sold that company. Uh, I got out <laughs> of that business. That was a little too greasy of a business for me to go. I got tired of getting dirty every time I went to the office. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, all right, I, I've got so many questions and we have so little time. So I wanna be as pointed when we have somebody like yourself that has so much knowledge in areas that we all could gain value in. And, and I, I don't know about you as you're listening to this, but I am always hesitant to call an attorney, right? Like it reminds me of that one time where I needed somebody when I was in a bad trouble and, and I was like, oh no. So then ever since then, like I want to avoid that. So when, when a, you know, and that's probably, it's like my wife being a dentist, right? I think like nobody wants to go to dentist. Nobody wants to go to uh, talk to an attorney. So we got a chance to like share some insight and wisdom from you. So I want to talk about like the person who at the beginning here, who's right at the beginning of their, their financial freedom stage, their journey, they haven't done any deals yet. And they're, they're consuming information. They're doing what they should be doing, which is investing in themselves and their knowledge. And they're getting ready to do a deal. And you, you, you've talked to so many investors where you're like, ah, you should have done this first. Like this is the first thing that you should have known to do that everybody didn't do. What would you tell that person? Yeah, it was something I, I uh, didn't know until I got into owning a business and owning real estate um, into it, right, with my first business. Uh, and I got lucky that I had a really great uh, attorney mentor who is also an entrepreneur. Um, come to find out those are the only the only attorneys that are really worth talking to, in my opinion, or like CPAs that are really worth talking to, really are the ones that have tried to go where you're trying to go, right? Have they walked the mile in the shoes? And I got lucky that I found a guy that was like for me early in my career. And I'm happy to be able to do that for um, all of my clients now, right? That I've walked that shoes in entrepreneurship and real estate and investing and be like, hey, this is actually how it works. This is actually what you really need to do. Because there's a lot of things that people recommend out there that are just a waste of time and waste of money. And I would say when you're at the very beginning of the journey, right? There's something about learning how to think differently, right? And how do you think how rich people think, right? We can't do what rich people do because we're not rich yet, but we can think how they think, right? Well, how does a rich person think? What do you mean by that? So when it comes into the field that I work on, what rich people are, are not worried about is how many assets they own, right? They're worried about how many assets they can control. Hmm. Rich people understand that it's, I don't want ownership because ownership means that that can be taken away from me, right? Hmm. What they, so what they do then is they use structuring. That, so that way they don't own anything, but they control everything. They don't buy a yacht, their company buys a yacht. 
By the way, it's a tax write-off when the company bought the yacht. So they get it at a cheaper rate. And if they get sued from a bad car accident they get into uh, or some emails that they send or phone conversations they have where somebody alleges that they that frauded them, they don't care. They have the peace of mind of knowing that the worst case scenarios can happen to them in life and it will impact them zero or very little. Rich people don't allow themselves to be exposed to the types of catastrophic emotional events that happen to normal people when they get sued, when they have assets in their personal name, where they're put into a position of saying, either I have to pay this extortion artist called a plaintiff's attorney, or I have to <laughs> risk losing everything. And what an unfair position to be in. So rich people right. understand that. They say, great, that's an untenable position for me. So when we talk about what's important for us at the very beginning of the, of the journey, it always comes down to a two-company structure as a baseline of what you do. You have your right hand, which is your company that owns everything and doesn't do anything. That's your asset holding company. It can hold your cash, your stocks, your real estate, all of your investments. And because it doesn't do anything, there's no liability directly against that company. And because there's no liability directly against that company, it means that nobody can sue that company and take its assets. You as an individual are doing stuff all the time. You're sending text messages phone calls, emails to people, you're the worst person to own something because at any given moment, you could step in it and trigger a lawsuit against you. But if you have everything owned by your asset holding company, then people can sue you all day long and they can't get to your stuff. And that's so, what's really so let me, let me Let me make sure. So typically people would call Russ a hot mess, right? A hot mess. That's what you're saying. Like personally, you're a hot mess and you need to get stuff out of your name. It, basically, what he, what I heard him say is that another way of saying asset holding company would be a Joey company because he said it does nothing. <laughs> You're gonna just can can we just rename the asset holding company a Joey from this point it's forward? A Joey, yeah. Hey, it's a Joey. I, I deserve that. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. So you got you got your asset holding company there, right? Joey, he's gonna own everything. And then we talked about like, that's your, that's your right hand, right? So what's your left hand, right? Your left hand could be you. And at the very beginning stages, if you don't have much money into it and you're just getting started, it might have to be you because you say like, Hey, listen, I just don't have the money to buy more than a single LLC to hold my assets to make sure that something goes wrong. I don't have to take a bath and all my money getting exposed to it. And by the way, I also realized that when I buy that, when I establish that, uh, asset holding company. It's also starting the seasoning process for it to be able to get different business lines of credit. So I get more access to capital by having that up. So it's an investment that allows me to get access to more money, just as it is an investment that lets me protect everything that I've already built so far. And I don't have back steps. I don't have those heavy emotional back steps that can happen to us on our investing and entrepreneurial journey that can be really demotivating. So, so with your so that's a basic, like some of the basic things you tell everybody who's thinking about getting into it. When you get into this, you're going to want to create some sort of holding company so that all the assets you start to buy from that point forward, at least go into it. So then you have anonymity within that, or I don't know if that's the right word, you have lack of access Protection. to those assets. That's right. Everybody needs to have an asset holding company. If you can only have one asset holding company to help build, you, build that business line of credit and protect all of your assets, the best thing to do is establish a Wyoming LLC for it. It's de facto anonymous. Make sure that Wyoming LLC is owned by a trust. So that way it's not just anonymous in year one, but it's going to be year anonymous in year two, three, et cetera. 
Uh, so that way, uh, because there's going to be public information reports you have to file. And if it's not owned by a trust, then that's going to get exposed on year two. A lot of people miss that detail when they're looking into a YMA LLC. They're pretty inexpensive to get, get started. If you really want to upgrade the anonymity even farther, besides just the protection that the LLC provides you and having the anonymity that it has de facto and by putting in the trust in place, you'd also want to have that LLC and those trusts created by a law firm and associated with an attorney and a lawyer's address. Because then when they look at it, even the organizer and creator of that LLC and trust are an attorney. So there's no information that links back to you. And by the way, because it's an attorney, now nobody can ask about it because all of that information is protected by the attorney-client privilege. So the cheapest, best, most effective thing that you can do if you can't afford to do anything else is going to be a Wyoming LLC that's owned by an anonymous trust and created by an attorney and a law firm. Russ, I remember my dad specifically say to me, Joey, you got to go to college. I don't want you to end up like me. And you know what my dad was saying is in order for things to change, things have to change. You can't end up just like me. Well, I think, I mean, we, we as parents, sometimes we take on the burden thinking about our kids and, and how we want something better for them. And we want to know what will their future look like if I don't take action, if I don't do something different. See, in my house, I'm the role model. You're your kid's role model. And the buck stops with you. It's time to take action. If you're ready to take action, join us at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash passport and get started on your own journey to financial freedom. All right, let's jump back into this episode. Okay, but let me ask this. So that's the holding company. Then do you have separate LLCs that that holding company owns for each individual asset thereafter? To the extent that any of the individual assets could have individual liability, then they would be LLCs underneath it with one asset, one LLC per asset, right? That's what you consider like to be a traditional hub and spoke model. That model has been around for over 40 years since LLCs have existed, right? So you'll see a lot of people will use that model of a hub and spoke where you have one parent LLC and it owns all the individual LLCs underneath it. Mm -hmm. um, and have every LLC will then have its own bank account and its own set of accounting records uh, that you have to have underneath it, right? So for there, you'll have great protection, right? And you'll also have anonymity with the ownership of the LLCs. You can also have anonymity in the ownership of the assets by using certain types of revocable trusts with that. But the problem you run into with the asset holding side is now it just got really complicated. Now I have all these bank accounts. I have all these sets of accounting records. I have all of these companies that I have to maintain every year and pay to maintain every year. I have to file the public information reports, the franchise tax reports for all of these LLCs. So what happens is it can become a lot of work for people and it can become expensive because either you're having to do it or you're having to pay somebody to maintain it, plus all the fees around it. So what we use will typically almost all of our clients will say, well, if you can only afford one LLC, use the Wyoming LLC. Everybody should have an asset holding company, do that. If you're a real estate investor or somebody that's gonna have multiple assets and you're thinking like, I'm probably gonna need subsidiary LLCs, this is where you'll use a series LLC. Because a series LLC allows you to have one bank account, one set of accounting books, one EIN number, and you can create an infinite number of child series underneath this series LLC for free. So you end up with the same exact protections as you would having a ton of LLCs, 
but you just use a series LLC and it allows you to have that infinite scalability at no additional operational costs, no additional tax filings, no additional bank accounts, um, and no additional formation fees as you scale. So that's, so that, that's that stage two, right? Stage yeah, one I was going like, to say, that's, that's somebody that's moving into that next level. Like maybe they've already gotten to 25% of their, their expenses covered in passive income and they're moving, they're trying to scale up in yeah. that one asset class or, you know, they're trying to stay focused on, let's say, turnkey real estate. Like that's really yeah. been their path and now they're buying more. Now they got to move into this series LLC. What else would you tell that person at that stage? Yeah, so you'd have, so once you start getting two plus assets, physical assets, that's when series LLCs are start to make sense because that's where you offset the cost. And then it's gravy after that, right? So that's where you will, you'll start to think about, cool, if I'm in that zero to 25, it's just that Wyoming LLC. Once I'm starting to scale into assets, I need to start using a series LLC um, for those assets. Or if I'm located in California, I'm gonna use a Delaware statutory trust or Wyoming statutory trust to avoid franchise taxes. Not get too far down in the weeds, but just so that way everybody can hear it at least once, right? Yeah. I'm like, here's so how what, it works. What else would you tell them? Is there anything else that you find is like a normal, you know, step that they need to take? Yeah. In addition oh. to that series LLC at that stage? Yeah, 100%. So, um, so when you're in that first track, we talked about the asset holding company, which is your right hand side. But the thing we haven't talked about yet is the operating company. So, operating companies are companies that don't own anything but they do everything, right? Operating companies are actually what separate you personally from any business deals that you're doing or any communications you're making. Remember that your credit score is an asset. It's access to capital that we have for right. that. So you wanna put an LLC in between you and any other communications that you're making because any communications that you have are potential allegations of fraud, are potential allegations of breach of contract, all things that are not covered by insurance, right? It can't be covered by insurance. Also into that same vein too, it's like, what contracts are you signing, right? Are you signing your deals that you're getting into, let's say for a piece of real estate and making sure you're signing on behalf of the LLC or you're signing on behalf of the LLC and making that contract assignable. So that way you can have all the liability pushed into this LLC that doesn't own anything, but then I still have all the flexibility with what I wanna do with this deal because I can assign it out to whatever way it needs to happen because of the way financing or investment uh, investors might come into it. But I can lock it up in this way and compartmentalize all my liability if I wanna back out of that deal because the only thing that can sue at that point is an LLC that doesn't own anything. So my worst case scenario, if something blows up in my business, real estate investing or other types of investing is a business, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever business you're doing, is that you wanna be able to have all the liability into that LLC that doesn't own anything. And if anything that bad happens, you just shut that LLC down and then you start up a new LLC. But remember, we can do that because all of our assets were inside of our asset holding company. So we can shut down and restart companies all day long. And at the same time, we have all of our assets on the other side uh, that we wanna use, right? For being able to, to have all of our wealth. Or if your company has physical assets, let's say as vans, all your vans would then be owned by your asset holding company. Those are all assets, right? What happened then is that your operating company then leases the vans back from your asset holding company. So at any given moment, we can always just shut down the company and restart. So if you're at the very beginning stages, you can only afford one thing, I'd say start with an asset holding company and risk your personal credit score because that's all you can afford to do and you know you're operating and not the best way, but it's what you can afford. 
If you, the moment you can afford to have an operating company, set up an operating company because now you can protect yourself personally and protect your credit score with it and start to operate in a little bit more and the sophisticated way that rich people think uh, and the way that people that are successful entrepreneurs think about controlling liability. Once you start well, getting scalable assets, that's when you'll say, great, I'm going to take that asset holding company that I had and now I'm going to form it into a series LLC. So now I can yeah. have the scalable assets into that 25 to 100% uh, financial freedom number. Okay. And before we get into that top tier, somebody who has already hit their financial freedom goal, they've scaled and now they're trying to diversify and other things. Before we get into that top tier, when you say operating company, I'm I'm immediately thinking of what typically we've set up as S corporations that we're operating our business out of. Is that what you're, I just want to make sure I'm on the same page with you with that. So corporate structure, whether you're using LLC, S-Corp, or C-Corp, doesn't have anything to do uh, with the protection. They all provide protection in the exact same way. The difference between whether I'm going to use an LLC as a disregarded entity, right, which makes it where I can don't have to have a separate tax return for that LLC. All the income is going to go to my personal return, and I still have to file my personal return, but I get all the protection that I'm wanting. Right. That's usually going to make sense for people that are um, – Anything that you're below a $40,000 a year income uh, and below is that you would just use the LLC as a disregarded entity. Once you start going like that 40 range to like a buck 30 into it, then that's when you're going to want to start to use an S corporation because you're going to be able to save money on the self-employment tax. Now you're going to have to pay for a tax filing for your S corporation. So how much you save on tax needs to at least equal how much it's going to cost you to prepare that extra tax return. And that happens at about that forty dollars to $50,000 a year mark, depending on the cost of your tax prep. And after right. that, it's all gravy, right? Tax savings. Once you get above that number, that's when we start thinking about C corporations and the way that C corporations are going to be able to help um, help us further shelter, uh, shelter income if we want to take income that way. Uh, but there's also, you know, there's a host of other things you can do um, at that point. Um, that get much deeper into what investments you're making and and how are you positioning money from your home office deduction, your auto deductions, sheltering money through your kids and family, you know, all kinds of fun stuff that's in that route. My, my favorite conversation, but <laughs> I love every bit of that. All right, let's 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 jump into that top right. Let's talk about the person who has, as Joey said, has become financially free. Their passive income equals or exceeds their monthly expenses and they're starting to think through different levels and wanting to make sure they've they they've set everything up that will, if you will, we have clients who would call this their hundred year plan. How do how do people start doing that adequately? What are some of the things that you talk about with that group? Yeah, so I think you know as we're going through the conversation, right? We started with like the zero twenty five percent, right? Which was here's the importance of having an anonymous LLC with a Wyoming LLC. Here's how you do it efficiently, right? What we find is that anonymity is so important because it stops lawsuits before it's, they start. When it looks like you qualify for food stamps, people just don't sue you, right? Right. <laughs> right? So how do you do that, though, once you start actually having more assets? So then anonymity becomes even more important the, far, the more assets that you get. So once you're in that 25 to 100, but especially if you're in the 100 to 200 range, using trusts uh, like revocable grantor trusts, which are types of land trusts, a land trust are a type of revocable grantor trust, um, layered in with your asset protection structure, you're actually able to own all of your assets anonymously, just like you own your company anonymously, mm -hmm. right? 
So that becomes a really important point uh, for us when we get already to financial freedom, because once you hit financial freedom, the number one thing you don't want is go back to not being financially free anymore. Right. You know? exactly. Right. So when you start getting into that bracket, it's, it becomes exceptionally important to have the anonymity. Now with our company, we believe in anonymity from the ground up. So we're helping when even people in that zero to 25% range, we're finding the cost efficient ways that make sense for to have the investment inside of the anonymity. And how can we do that? Right. All the way through, because we believe starting with the end in mind, but doing things at the appropriate level of wherever somebody's at. But when you're just looking at that, say, well, great, we already hit all of the, we already hit the normal asset protection stuff, right? Of compartmentalizing every asset that we have, creating anonymity, the company ownership and the asset ownership. There's things that you can do at that point that make it where you're truly bulletproof, like establishing offshore trusts, um, like through um, through like Nevis is a really popular place to do it, um, or the Cook Islands that says, hey, I have this great structures that are all domestic, but I want to pay thirty thousand dollars and three to five thousand dollars a year to be able to have an offshore entity with offshore trustees that says, even if hellfire rains down on me from all respects, I can actually take my assets and then strip them all offshore. So they're outside of the jurisdiction of the United States from anybody being able to go outside of the court system, right? So some of our clients want that kind of level of bulletproof because it's absolutely untenable for them to think about any scenario in which they would have to regress. Right? right. And when you want that kind of security, of course, you pay for it. The other thing that's really important, I think, as you move through this, especially if you have children, is going to be your estate planning. A lot of people are really keen on the money and not really keen on how am I setting this up so that I can make sure that my children are provided for, that all of the assets stay anonymous when they pass to the kids, that we're going to avoid probate court uh, and be able to have that set up where my family is going to be taken care of and taken care of the right way with all of the money I left them. Because what could be more horrible for people that aren't used to having money than having a bunch of stuff get dropped on them or that it gets caught up in a court process where now everybody in the world is saying that they want to cut out of it while they're grieving mm-hmm. your death, right? Which is what happens if you don't have a state planning set up. Everything goes to court. Once it goes to court, now it's public record of who got what out of it. Right. So now you blow all the anonymity. Now you create a target on the back of your family that inherited all this. Right. And then you can avoid all of that with proper estate planning. So once you start, if you have children, it's exceptionally important to have that on on no matter what income level or monetary level you're at, in my opinion. Um, But exceptionally, as you get higher into the assets, having that proper estate planning in place is the only way to make sure that your family is actually going to be taken care of in the right way. Man, this has been ridiculous. Like there's so much action to be taken out of here. Clearly, as you're listening to Scott talk, you realize that you need to have somebody like this in your corner. Scott, tell us if we wanted to like reach out to you and try to get feedback. Is it are you just gonna give us your personal cell phone number like you did in bigger pockets, <laughs> or is it a better place for us to go? <laughs> yeah. So the best place to do is actually to go to the royallegalsolutions.com website uh, and click the get a price. Uh, tab in the very top of the page. And that's going to take you to a quiz page and some videos that we have in there. The quiz, the reason why the quiz is so important is one, it lets us see that you're serious enough for us to talk to because we can only help so many people, right? The other piece that it actually helps us with is that quiz will have all of the key information we need to have a productive conversation. I don't know about you, but I hate calling new conversations with, with companies 
right? Yeah. Or with attorneys who are like, well, sit down and tell me a half hour about all your whatever, right, that you have going on. So what we did is we said, listen, everybody goes to RoyalLegalSolutions.com. They go to get a price at the top of the page and they fill out the quiz. With the quiz information and the very first conversation we're going to have for you, we're either going to be able to say, great, here's, um, we think that for where you're at right now, listen, you're way behind the ball. You need to start taking action right now with it is. And so let's get you into a conversation with a senior advisor that I've personally trained on what that looks like for you, right? Here's what we recommend for people that we've helped that are just like you. If that's not the right place for you, right, to go into that kind of call, then what we can do is take that information from the quiz and we say, great, what are all, what are all of the pieces of content that we know that people that are just like this person have found to be valuable? So we can take the massive amounts of content that's out there and we can narrow it down to your particular objectives and where you're at right now. So that way you can see clearly what are the steps that I should be taking now and what are the steps that I should be taking down the road. Um, and we can do that because it's about 25 different data points that then we can then look at and say, great, we can already know what people that are just like you have found valuable and what they put in place. And so we, we know just from that what a productive conversation is going to look like, how to connect you with the right resources until you're ready to start taking action. So one way or the other, you either get mountains of free content that's tailor-made for you, or we can get you into the right conversations uh, with a staff member. But it all starts there with going to royallegalsolutions.com, clicking to get a price at the top of the page, and filling out that quiz. Dude, that is so awesome. And you're also in our community, so I would encourage you to to message him in the app, and he can help point you toward more tools and resources they've created. Joey and I have had a chance to participate in your community. It's very active. You give a lot, which is amazing. We love that go-giver mentality. Thank you so much, Scott, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. I know that we're probably going to have to have a follow-up in the future for all the messes that Joey and I are making to help you, uh, <laughs> to help us get free legal advice and for you guys to learn from our mistakes. So thanks again, Scott, for being on the show. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you, guys. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.